The subject I want to look at tonight for a little bit, Jesus Christ, the life and light of mankind. There's two verses I want to look at, and I want you to see them in, in uh, two different translations. I haven't lost my mind. I want to explain why I'm doing it this way. John 1, verses 4 and 5, the, the primary teaching Bible in Cedarview for quite a few years has been the English Standard Version. Before that, I went for years using, using the New American Standard Bible. And you'll see these two texts in these two translations. Speaking of Jesus, John writes, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Same two verses. New American Standard. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And immediately you see the difference here and here in those two translations. Two excellent translations. In the ESV, the darkness has not overcome the light coming in Jesus Christ, while in the New American Standard, the darkness did not comprehend it. And the reason for the conflict is, well, I'm not a Greek scholar, but the reason is that Greek word katalambano can legitimately be translated either as to triumph over, hence overcome, the ESV, or it can be translated to perceive or comprehend in the New American Standard. I want to work with both of those ideas in the second point of this teaching. But the outline of my thoughts comes from the flow of the two sections. Whichever text you want to use, there's two sections. The, the first portion of the text deals with this description of Jesus, the incarnate Son in himself. And it says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. That's about Jesus. The second part of the text deals not directly with the Lord himself, but with, with the situation he came into, the reaction he received because of his coming into the world. The light shines in the darkness, John says, and the darkness has not overcome, comprehended it. The first part is about Christ himself. In him was light. And the life was the light. Light was the light of men. The second part, the reaction. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome or comprehended it. Another thing. I think it's interesting to note the way John intentionally uses past and present tenses in that construction of verse 5. The light, the light shines, present tense. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it, NASB. He moves from 
present tense, to the past. It's not just carelessness on John's part. First, first the birth of Christ is a, is a past event. In him was life. God has already accomplished that great redeeming event. He has come. He has come in all of his creative redeeming power. It's the reason we celebrate this Christmas. But the idea here is the light, the light didn't just shine once. The light just didn't shine at one time. No. The shining of the light continues. It outlasts the birth of Jesus. The light, the light shines, present tense. Right now. The light shines. It is a currently active light. So in some way, we need to explore in this teaching the light of Christ. He came then, but the light shines right now. Then, of course, there's this idea of the the incompatibility with this light. The darkness. The light shines in the darkness. The Something of the dullness of the human heart in response to the light of Christ. The darkness, too. The darkness, too, is it's ongoing. It's far-reaching. The situation hasn't changed. It hasn't improved. This is John's way of drawing all of our attention away from days long ago and lands far away. He wants all of us fixing our attention on this room that we're sitting in. Our lives right now, at this moment. So the same light of Christ shines right now, but the light of Christ doesn't land right now neutrally in this world. We shouldn't expect it to. It still shines, and it still meets darkness when it shines. That's the first thing our text forces us to look into with some measure of honesty. It's like for all the lights, you drive around, you look at the lights, all the lights that get strung in homes, shopping malls, churches. It's, it's the apostle calls our attention to the darkness into which the light came. The light shines in the darkness. Verse 5. Try, try, to, try to pretend you haven't heard these Christmas verses a thousand times before. Let the words of John land on the soil of your mind like, like they were landing for the very first time. I have three or four thoughts. Here's the first. The first obvious truth of our text is Christ is the source of life for all that exists. You get it in the first four words of verse 4. In him was life. The him, by the way, to which John is referring, clearly is the Christ. We know that from just back up in the text to the first three verses of that chapter. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Here's what he's saying. 
All things, all things were made by him, through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That's, that's John's more expansive way of saying in him was life. In Christ, we find the eternal self-existence of Almighty God. He is, John says, the maker of all things. We know that. But, but think about this for a minute. It means, it means absolutely everything that exists other than himself. There is, there is an uncreatedness about that baby born of Mary. He doesn't derive life from another source. Here's how John's going to say it just a few chapters later. John 5, 26. Jesus says, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. He never had a beginning. He can have no ending. So, so here is one to whom no origin whatsoever can be assigned. So in this, he's, he's absolutely separate from the rest of his own creation. And you start to see you start to see the great paradox of the incarnation and the crucifixion that they were singing about. The one, the one who can never begin has a birth, and the one who can never cease to exist dies. We've heard those words hundreds of times. Those first four words of verse 4. In him was life. Life itself. Life itself. They're stunning when you hear them slowly and deeply. God alone is the source of life. He is the generator of all life. There's a cold, hard factualness to this. Consider this. It means that every atheistic study of the origin of things has it all backwards. This means you have things exactly reversed when you start with matter and seek to find the beginnings of life. This is what we do. What protein? How did it come into being? How did it start? If what John is saying is true, life doesn't arise from matter. Matter arises from life. The order is the exact opposite. You start with God, you start with life, and that gives a rise to matter. You have to start with the Creator, because in John's succinct expression, in him was life. It's all true, of course. Is this all John is driving at? Is he just, is he just making the point that Christ is the Creator of all, that we, in this room like the rest of the creatures on earth we have a common created beginning is is he just echoing the words of job in his hands is the life of every living thing or paul in him we live and move and have our being and i want to argue that that's not even close to john's main point it's true but that's not his point there's there's so much more in this Christmas text than just the magnifying of Christ's creative power over all 
that exists, and I think the words of the text make it clear. And it leads into my second point. While Christ is the creator of all creatures, he is the light of mankind alone. It's hard to miss it in that fourth verse. There's two things. In him was life. Talked about it. And the life was the light of man. So life is given by the creating Son to all of creation. Light is placed by the Son in the soul, in the heart of mankind alone. There's, there's an image of God. There's a, there's a divine capacity for response. There's a, a taste of being designed for more than just the material realm. It's the light. The light that gets placed in mankind. It's in you. Christ put it there. In him was life. And the life was the light of mankind. John's not merely pointing out our shared created origin with the rest of the creatures in this world. He's, he's asserting a unique enlightening of mankind by God the Son. So, so he's writing about our divinely intended capacity. He's, he's calling us not to misunderstand or squander our design. He's saying to everyone in the room today, you were made for Christ. It seems an urgent matter to John that we recognize what it is that functions deep inside our own skins. It's, it's as though he thinks we might miss it if we're careless or thoughtless. He seems driven to remind us of this divine inner enlightening. There is no created person left out of this process. He says the same thing in John chapter 1, verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. There's more than just comfort in those words, though. John is saying, he's saying, we resist more than we know when we push conscience aside. We resist more than we know when the voice of reason gets shunned when idols get worshipped, when distractions close our eyes to the truth. We're resisting more than just our own inner selves, our upbringing, our traditions. Our we distort more than we know when we use divinely given reasoning capacities to somehow justify turning from the one who gave us those capacities in the first place. That's what's happening here. John echoes the Apostle Paul in probing the guilt of suppressing the truth of the light of Christ. That's his passion in this text. 
He exposes the alarming truth that the very inner capacities that can fuel our independence from Christ, the very things that empower us to justify turning against him, those are the capacities we received from him in the first place. Point number three. The light of Christ still shines in the darkness. I come back to these two references. John 1, 5, and the light shines in the darkness, presently, shines in the darkness. The darkness did not comprehend it. Doesn't think it through, the implications of it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light doesn't just shine. It shines in the middle of darkness. So on that point, both our translations insist. The light doesn't just shine in neutral territory. There's, there's a darkness in this day in which we live. Every day, actively pushing against that inner light given by the sun. There's, there's no soul without inner resistance to divine light. That's the dilemma identified in the scriptures. You'll hear Christians talking about it. That's what being lost means. It's not a metaphor. It's a condition. John tells us there's something we so easily find incomprehensible about the light of Christ. Conscience may speak and lead us away from evil, but there are inclinations in all of us just as powerful, drawing us into evil. We frequently find it easier to resist the conscience than those desires against which conscience speaks. I mean, we get faint gleamings of future accountability. We know about our own mortality and at least the possibility of future judgment. But the present, the present has more power over the inner light than the future. What is distant has little weight when it's set against what is near. There are distractions. There are affections. We're so frequently exposed, especially in a land like ours, to other masters, other voices, calling us with far more glitter and promise than a Christ we can't see or touch. Sight can easily crowd out faith in a world like ours. So yes, the light still shines. John says presently, it shines right now. It shines in you as you hear these words from Scripture right now. That's the light. It shines. But it has, to, it has to shine in one of the darkest places. The human heart. That leads you to the last point, point number four. There's a, there's a loving persistence of the light of Christ into the darkest of hearts. 
That's where I come back to this. The light shines in the darkness. There is darkness, but the darkness has not, has not overcome it. That should make you happy Christmas Eve. There, is, there hope, is there hope for this inner contradiction between the shining of the light of Christ and the darkness? The deceptive human heart? Can, can blind eyes actually be made to see the real truth? Can, can wisdom embrace grace that we so desperately need? Well, centuries. Centuries before John wrote, there was this note of hope introduced by a prophet who actually never lived to see the fulfillment of his own words. The prophet Isaiah said this. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. It shines in the darkness. Those who dwell, this is the permanent condition, in a land of deep darkness. There's no darkness like inner darkness. On them, on them as light shone. Speaking of Christ. So, so, light and darkness, right there in Isaiah's prophetic words, they're once again linked together. But the light here, it's, it's described as a very great light. It, it, it reaches far deeper in its effect than just the bare power of conscience or the bare power of reason. It has the power to penetrate the deep darkness of the most entrenched life. You remember God-fearing Simeon? He recognized something in Christ when his parents brought him. In Luke chapter 2, there was a man in Jerusalem. His name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and he blessed God. And said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Now look at this. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. This this is why the light still shines. It still shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome that light. You, you've heard me speak of the nature of this darkness. Perhaps you feel it in your own heart, this neglect of divine grace. You feel the coldness of your own soul. 
You fear you lack the ability to escape. You feel there's maybe no more hope. You've tried other things. This text says everything has now changed with Christ. The people of darkness, that's us, by the way. We have been given a great light. It is from the outside. It runs deeper than just moral instruction or New Year's resolutions. It reverses. It cleanses. It regenerates. By the power of Christ's shed blood, the baby born to die for your freedom from the inner darkness of sin. This light shines. It exposes the darkness of your heart for what it is. If you're honest enough to admit it, you can trust the power of this light. The power of this light is greater than your fear of your own failure. He can make things new. There's a great light. We sing it pretty much every Christmas. Where meek souls will receive him still. The dear Christ enters in. In him was life. And the life was the light of mankind. Let's pray.